Welcome to another episode of Support Women in Sports. I'm so excited for our guest today, and I will let Alana do the introduction. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Today's guest is Chanel Keenan, and she is the intersectionality consultant with the new NHL expansion team, the Seattle Kraken. So, uh, Chanel, thank you so much for coming on. We're super excited, like Sydney said, to have you and, and share your story. If you'd like to, you know, introduce yourself and let us know um, how you got to where you are today. Oh, boy. Um, it's kind of a crazy situation, I feel like, because it's so unorthodox. Like, I'll talk to my friends in the industry about it, and they're like, oh, like, how did your interview process go? And I'm like, there wasn't one. Um, I was recruited via Twitter um, by my boss who works in the Kraken. Um, she works in like the fan development stuff and just uh, creating the culture around our team and what the fan base goes through. Um, so she found me through Black Girl Hockey Club, which is an organization that I also volunteer with um, that I hold really close to my heart because I love everything that they're doing. And I guess she found me because they shared an article that I wrote during the summer. Um, a lot of things were happening in the summer, both good and bad, but I just felt compelled to share my truth, I guess, um, and my experience in the industry and more so the lack of representation of disabled bodies in the hockey world and especially as a disabled woman and a disabled woman of color, like all these different things that I'm a part of. Um, that I haven't found a time to really speak about because, you know, I was a fan first. Um, I'm from Boston, so I was basically born a Bruins fan. So to try to navigate, you know, my own home team, um, not that they haven't reached out or anything, but just like thinking how funny it is that I'm working for a team that's on the West Coast, you know, and um, that they are so warm and welcoming to me and my mission. Um, to just diversify the game in an authentic way um, because it is a very white-dominated sport, which is fine, but, you know, that's not a representation of our America. So, um, or Canada as well, because, you know, same whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I've just been, um, I was recruited on Twitter, and it was a really weird thing. Initially, I was just supposed to help with their app development that we're working on right now. And then I sent a really long email um, getting kind of closer to the date that I was going to start. And I was like, I feel like if I don't say this, I'll regret it probably for the rest of my life. But I feel like I can do more to the Kraken. I feel like there's more that I can give to you guys other than just a really small portion of what you're doing. And that's not to minimize it at all, but on the grand scheme of at least culture wise, like I feel like I can do more. Um, and I didn't get a reply right away and that made me panic a little bit. Um, so I was really happy that right before, um, towards the end of September, I got an email back and she was like, we're going to meet soon. And I was like, okay. Um, but I still didn't know that it was going to turn into a job offer. So I was just happy that she was respecting my word and my vulnerability in a way because I don't think I would have felt that I could even send that email if it was an organization that I didn't believe were doing the right thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank goodness for the power of Twitter, right? Like, I think 
for us, like Alana and I, like that's been a huge part of like our journey and like just meeting with this community. But that's amazing. That's really cool. I guess like another question too, you said you grew up in Boston and you were a Bruins fan. Like why hockey? Like why not any of the other Boston teams? Like what kind of had you like latched on to hockey from the start? Yeah, so I feel like when you grow up in New England, whether you like it or not, you kind of attach yourself to all the sports. So I definitely was probably a little more interested in football because at first when I was a kid, because it was usually just on anyways. Um, and then toward my middle school years, I had a shift where like we would watch the games and then I would eventually start paying attention to what was going on because I don't know, it's kind of a hard sport to ignore when you see people running on ice. Um, and I thought that the concept of it was just ridiculous when I think about it. And I still find myself thinking that, you know, when I'm watching the playoffs or something, I'm like, what am I watching right now? Like, what is this? Um, and I feel like that's the same for every sport. Like, if you really think about the premise of it, you're kind of like, what are we doing? But we love it, you know? Um, I don't know. I I just kind of really like how uh, it's a team sport. And I've said this before, like, you have to rely on everybody um, to make your team win. And anytime that you hear a post-game interview, it's a, we did this, we did that. Unless it's someone taking responsibility for a failure, like them personally, you never really hear them being like, um, that was on so-and-so. Like, it's on everybody. Um, and I find that really appealing because I feel like as a society, if we don't hold each other accountable, we fail, we don't grow. And I think the overall message of hockey is like that, you know, like it, it is a little bit different in these times and we've seen it, uh, especially in the summer about how, you know, it's a nice idea, but unless it's in practice, unless we keep having tough conversations or uncomfortable ones that we don't move forward. So I just found that hockey was a culture, the, the lining of the culture is really good. It does get messy a little bit and I have, two older brothers so I understood from the beginning what that could turn into if it's not handled properly um, but I think overall because of their business model they're really good at what they do um, it's only when we find these cracks in the system or um, the bad things happen you know so um, I just really like the culture of it in general um, and I like that it's so reliant on teamwork yeah, it makes like it always reminds me of the movie Miracle. Like I watched that recently, and it's kind of crazy how even back then, like sports were bringing people together, like during a tough time, like the country was facing, and like how sports are doing that now too, like with the NBA and the WNBA and all of that. So I don't know why I just like connected those two, but I always remember a uh, Miracle. Yeah. Um, I know that Chanel, you talked a lot about Black Girl Hockey and all these other um, incredible organizations that you're involved with. Like, I know I personally see you all the time on my feed, you know, being retweeted and being involved. And, you know, you're definitely like someone I feel like it was very just well known. Like, you know, you, you get, talk to everyone. And like I said, involved incredibly um, with different organizations. Um, if you, you know, would not talk a little bit about that and what you've been able to do with Black Girl Hockey, galvanize, and I'm sure the list goes on if you, you know different organizations that you're passionate about and been involved in? Yeah, so 
I, at first when I got hired with the Kraken, I was like, intersectionality, like, what does that mean to me? And then I kind of looked at what I have been doing over the last six months or so, as far as getting involved with Galvanize and Black Girl Hockey. Um, Galvanize was a very similar situation to the Kraken as far as me getting discovered online and um, being recruited by the woman who created Galvanize. And that was um, so incredible and so weird at the time. Like I had like an hour and a half phone call with Laura Oakman and she convinced me to start my podcast that I put on a hiatus because things are crazy right now. Um, but she made me feel like I needed to do something because I need to practice what I was preaching as far as like, I wasn't seeing enough representation of disabled women in the industry and across like all of them. Um, and in order for me to start something like that or to see it happen, I had to do it. Um, which is something that I'm not always like, I wasn't always down that I'm not like really loving having to be the first of, of what I've been able to see. Because um, I think it just goes to show you that if you don't see yourself in a space, you don't feel completely welcomed to it. Um, and that's been something that I've had to kind of overcome and get past because I can be that person for somebody else. And that's always like my greater feeling of like when I feel uncomfortable doing something, I'm like, this will make it easier for somebody else in the future. Um, and I find that to be a really humbling role because I didn't grow up with that. I never saw a disabled body in the sport, not even in like, um, you know, an office setting of, uh, you know, like these people that call games are just in a little booth, right? So you don't have to be standing on the sidelines of the court to record what's going on. Um, and so like, I felt like if that was my journey, if that was something that I wanted to do, that I could have done it. But because I didn't see it happening, I just didn't think that it was space for me. Um, and I think that's like more in the back of my mind than anything else, because, you know, you can make any space your own if you give it a shot. And that's basically what happened. Um, I found Black Girl Hockey Club on Twitter. I really don't know how or why. It must have been somebody that I follow who then retweeted something of theirs. And when I did a little bit more research and I got involved. Um, I basically like kept offering myself to Renee, one of the founders. And I was like, if you guys ever expand or need anything, like I am more than willing to help. Like I love what you're doing. Like I guess consistently because when I had like my one-on-one -on -one interview with her, she was like, you're very persistent. And I was like, oh no, like it's not bad. Like, I don't know. I was like, I'm sorry if I was bothering you. Like, I don't know, you know. Um, but it was just because I am so passionate about diversifying the sport from people who work in it to the people that play it. And I think the only way that we can do that is if we come out of with a united front. So anything that I can do to boost their work, and they don't need my help anymore. But like, I mean, I, I still help with them. But it's like, it's not the same as it was in the beginning stages of their work. So I've just been really um, lucky enough to see them flourish over the past couple months, and they're doing incredible work. So anytime that I see something of value, which is pretty much everything that they do, like I have to share it because it's so amazing, and people need to know. Um, because you know, as as business like and as 
exclusive as the NHL can seem, the only way we can, you know, change it up is by supporting businesses and nonprofits like Black or Hockey Club. So that's what I get to do on the side. Um, I'm just a volunteer with them, but anything can happen. You know, I might keep begging for another jump with them and maybe she'll let me in. I don't know. Um, but I, I absolutely love them. And um, Galvanize is a huge network for women working in the industry. And that's another one that I'm so lucky to be a part of and giving me so much access to all the women that we have working with each other. Um, because it is, again, another system where we rely on each other to look out for each other and to support one another. And it's not um, a scary like women against women competition. We're all on the same team. And I think that that smashes some narratives that people like to play up. Um, but I just don't see that in, in Galvanize or in Black Girl Hockey Club. So I'm just a part of multiple families right now. And I think that that is so awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important. And, and kind of when you were talking about that space and the journey that you've had, I know that um, one of our podcast guests said, if you see her, you can be her. And now it's on our wallpaper for Wednesday. Um, but I think that's, you know, so vital to show, like you were saying, representation, you know, showing that it's diverse is is incredible and so important to continue inspiring the next generation of women or even, you know, men, like if they if they see someone um, and, you know, someone of colors and different things like that, it's definitely like really important. Um, so yeah, I love that. I think it's definitely been also one of the things that's been huge for us on the podcast has just been able to um, show that people's different journeys, you know, like you may not see them and you may not know them, but that's kind of the whole thing behind it is sharing those stories. So people know that they're not alone in all of it. Exactly. I think Laura's done an amazing job of growing Galvanized too. Like I'm constantly seeing the whole Galvanized family, I guess you could say like across my feed. And I really like all the awareness and attention she's just bringing to like different stories in sport. I think it's really cool personally. Same with like Black Girl Hockey Club, like they've exploded on Twitter within the past few months. And that's been amazing to see and like just growing the game really on like both a diversity level and also just growing the women's game on that level too has been awesome. But I guess like transitioning into like this next phase of your career, like what do you hope to accomplish with the Kraken and like maybe what are some like your big goals that you have ahead and like what do you want to see? Yeah, so one thing that I have been made clear of just within observation with the Kraken is that they are doing the most that they can to come off and be authentic. And I think that that is something that's really important when you're uh, an expansion team because, you know, I think when the Vegas Golden Knights came out, like, I think even myself, I was like, that's kind of funny, like, team in Las Vegas. like it, And it was kind of what it was supposed to be. It was kind of supposed to be, like, this golden, showy, like, is this a serious team or is this, like, a, you know, something you go to see when you go to Vegas, you know, like it wasn't necessarily the most, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just, it wasn't supposed to be as businessy. It was yeah. more like a fun type of thing. And I think that they maintain that through their online persona too. They have one of the more um, funnier Twitter accounts, I think. And that's something that not all um, teams get to have the privilege of because they've set such a precedent of being buttoned up and being very business and, not militant, but, you know, like really structured and you don't go against the grain, you don't say anything 
funny or get into a fight with, you know, the silly, the flyers on, you know, Twitter. And like, they can do that because they started off that way. And I think that the way the Kraken are doing that is starting from really being clear that they are very inclusive and that they champion diversity, not from a numerical standpoint, not from a quota standpoint, but really like actively trying to do the work to diversify the people that we work with. Um, we have meetings every week and I get to like swipe through the Zoom page and be like, oh, another woman that like kind of looks like me or like someone that you wouldn't think would be in the industry. But and if I can do that for other people, if I can start to be a face or if I can make the idea of hiring a disabled person not as scary, which it isn't, but it's, it comes with a lot of challenges sometimes if you're not equipped to handle that but if i can give them the best experience i guess they will be more inclined to do it in the future and i think that goes for any industry or any business that i work for is i really try to do my best to be like it's not that hard it's not scary it's not you know out of the box to do this it's also not something you just do out of charity you do it because they have the the background and the requirements to do the job right and i don't know i think it's such a weird thing because I didn't think that this would be a job that I would have anyways like never did I think I would be a consultant for an NHL team like it just doesn't make sense I would have pictured myself more on like the marketing and social media side because as you guys probably can tell I'm kind of good at it I'm good enough at it that you know you guys found me so um <laughs> you are very good at it I, I, I will wanna, say like, that. Out, like, that but just like knowing how that works and Knowing how different um, platforms work is something that I have been, you know, figuring out for a really long time. Um, and that's just through trial and error. But if I, I didn't think I'd be somebody who would, you know, help out with language things and logistical things and, you know, putting a, a personal face to an idea. I think that that's my biggest role is like, you know, we say inclusion and we mean, mean it, but like what does that look like and that looks like me working for them and doing multiple other projects that don't have anything to do with my disability but i'm still there to help them navigate certain things that they might they might need literal consulting with so um it's been an interesting month with them i'll say that because it was kind of slow at first but then like the week of halloween like things started to pick up and it was just kind of weird um, but that was like a, a weird week in itself. So I've just been hoping that, you know, anything that I can do now will make it possibly easier to get like a permanent position with them or, you know, eventually me feeling like I've done enough to present myself to the the real, the like the NHL side of it, not just an individual team, like league wide trying to do something for them because I feel like that is something that's definitely missing. Um, they have a lot of DEI committees, but they don't have any disabled representation on them. So I think hopefully I can weasel my way up there eventually because I think it's important. Um, but yeah, I don't know really um, because again, like I said, like I had no idea this was going to happen for me. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it's something that all leagues need in all honesty. So just like props to you for being one of the first to do it. And I think you are definitely going to make waves in this industry for sure. 
Yeah. I definitely see you as, you know, like shattering like the glass ceiling, like you said, a lot of people might find it like intimidating or they don't really know how to approach it. And I think it's really important to make sure, you know, you're uh, appealing and you're accommodating to all different, just so, yeah, they all feel included and they feel like they can be NHL fans. I think it's huge. Like you were saying, you got to kind of go outside of your own little world to like keep continuing like the fan base and getting, you know, people to want to watch hockey and be involved in hockey and things like that is, is definitely huge for sure. I know that's something um, we also talk about, I guess, on the podcast quite a few times has been like imposter syndrome. I feel like that's something that's very common. Um, women in sports, sports industry in general, it's definitely something that that can happen for you. Have you been able, you know, I guess, have you gone through that? And how have you been able to kind of work through it to where you are right now? Oh, my gosh. Um, I struggle with it a lot, honestly. And I struggle with it to the point of like, um, my friends and I have these like, silly family zoom calls it's basically just people from hockey twitter and we just hang out on fridays and like drink and talk and make jokes all these things but last week i got roasted on an open fire because i can't take a compliment um and i like try to deflect it like really hard or i'll be like shut up like stop saying that like i it's it's becoming my toxic trait at this point um and i just get like really embarrassed but like it's it's a lot deeper than this like I'm faking like being humble. It's more of a, a real situation that I was talking to my friend with who is also um, disabled and is also trying to break into the industry too. She's a little bit younger than I am. So she has a little bit more time, but even I'm doing this at a very premature rate. I feel like I'm so young, so it doesn't make sense at all either. But um, when you grow up with a disability, a lot of the times you get praised for just simply existing. And I think trying to navigate where the compliments are coming from or how authentic you're being perceived or like just little things can be really hard to distinguish. And it's kind of like a social cue problem, but it's not because I I know they mean it, you know, but I also in the back of my mind, I'm like, do they mean it? Or is it just because, you know, they don't, they feel bad or whatever, you know, it's, it's a very layered problem. It's hard to explain that to people without sounding a little bit like conceited or something, but it it is true in the sense of like when I grew up, a lot of the times like um, people would say just like weird things to me, but it would come off as a compliment. Like they would be trying to say something nice, but it would be like um, you've overcome so many obstacles, or like you have done so much for your situation that you're in, or whatever. So it's like. It is a compliment and they are trying to be nice, like not negating that, but it's a struggle to try to really figure out like if your work is what they're complimenting or if it's like your existence. Um, so it's like a really a deep rooted issue that I'm like trying to work on, but like, I feel like that's just going to be how it is for me for a little bit. Um, when I was like writing articles and stuff, I knew it was more about the content of those articles and not like I showed up somewhere and I'm like this small person. And it's like a girl in a wheelchair. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe there's one here. It's like my words touched people. And I hate even like making it sound like that, but like enough people had said something to me or parents had commented on that. And I like really felt that that was a real reaction to what was going on. But at the same time, like I still sometimes am like, are they just being nice or, or what is this or 
you know, I never like really think too deeply about it. I just kind of like do my best to like try to accept it and then move on. But like, I'm always, I'm always a little bit skeptical. Um, but yeah, I definitely deal with it probably every day. Um, something will go semi-viral and I'm like, why? Um, <laughs> like why? So stupid. Um, but it is, you know, you get what you give. And I put my heart into a lot of the stuff that does go viral and it makes sense, you know, like it goes, it goes back around, it comes back around to me. So, um, yeah, I definitely do struggle with it. Yeah. I think taking like compliments is a very big part of like imposter syndrome, but a lot of people don't necessarily like touch on, like I'm somebody who's like that. And it's just because I'm very competitive with myself and like, I see a compliment as like, I don't know, like softening it up or something. I don't know. I don't know why. I literally have something like I put this in my tweet drafts and this morning and I'm going to read it because it was like talking about like compliments, like taking compliments and stuff like that. But also I organize all of my thoughts via tweet drafts, which is a very interesting way to process your emotions. But there you go. It basically just says, I'm awful at accepting any sort of positive feedback. It makes me doubt myself even more. I'm in a constant competition with myself. I've always grown from being challenged. My brain has automatically views it as a distraction. So please teach me how to take positive feedback. Thanks. <laughs> but I think, like, speaking of that, too, like, you're a very positive person on Twitter and social media. So kind of how do you, like, have that balance and you're giving out all of this positive feedback, but sometimes it might be hard for you to receive it? It just, it's, it's so messy, I feel like, because I, in a sense, want people to remember me as being somebody who, who did do stuff like that, who had a really warm online presence, who is always nice and willing to, you know, share other people's work if they're in a position like I am, or, um, you know, redirecting people to causes bigger than mine, like, such as Black Girl Hockey Club, and, like, really trying to champion the around me because like I said I think it it does come back around so I guess the way that I accept those compliments is when I get opportunities like did it does it still not make sense to me that I work with the Kraken absolutely do I like still not think that it, it it's real probably every day um but I get closer to accepting that that reality is real for me and that it is because of what I've been able to do online, which um, I think, you know, as messy as social media can be, um, I really feel like if I'm happy without having it, you know, like other than the fact of basically my job and my means of living for to a certain extent, um, I think that starting with being happy with myself was the only way that I could be welcomed into this industry. If I'm, you know, angry at the way the cards were dealt for me, if I really focus on all the things that I can't do instead of what I can do, I think that that would set me back a lot. And I don't think that I would be as um, approachable or as willing to be open to others um, if I was like that. And I think it can be really easy to turn into that um, because, Sometimes it is easier to just be like, yeah, everything sucks. Like, and, and that happens sometimes, you know, and um, accepting that balance and trying to be like, today I had a really crappy day, but tomorrow 
who knows? It could be also a crappy day. Um, but I try to really take things day by day. And, um, you know, like, we don't have to get into this, but, like, when the whole Mitchell Miller story came out, um, which is the draft pick that Arizona had that they recently released, whatever. Um, terrible story. If you're interested, you can look it up. There's tons of stories on it now. Um, but when that whole story came out, it, like, rocked me, like, really hard. And I didn't see it coming like that. Like, I knew the story. I knew after I read the story, and I couldn't finish it, um, that I was going to be affected by it. But I couldn't figure out how to expel those emotions. Like, there were a ton, like, just like you, there were a ton of draft tweets. I recorded a whole podcast episode of it where I, like, really tried to, like, get it out there um and i tried to write something too but nothing nothing came out the way i wanted it to and it didn't didn't do much for me um so i was like i'll record something i'll give my you know two minutes of honest truth to it um and i'll see what happens and i did a couple of those videos before the final one uh was sent out but i was like I am not always this person who can see the light at the end of the tunnel every time. Because when that story came out, I was like, they knew this was going on and they still went forward with it, which didn't, didn't vibe with me. Um, so I think just being willing to also show that other side of things, because it's really easy to see, like, especially Instagram, that that's just kind of like a made up world. Um, there's not a whole lot of, honesty going on unless that's literally the purpose of your page like unless you start by being like this is me this morning and this is me tomorrow you're like sweatpants on and you're like you know normal um and just it's it's a made-up place i feel like so trying to make sure that people know that like i'm normal i still have like really crappy days or really good days. like i think that's the best way to go about it yeah yeah I think um, that's huge. <laughs> I think that's huge. Uh, I know a lot of people always say like Instagram is like your highlight reel and you kind of have to remember that, especially when you see people's profiles, you have to remember like, yeah, like that's really awesome. You did this and this, but like, you don't know what they do from like Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings. Like it's, you know, different. And I think uh, Sydney has said this a couple of times, how like Twitter's her diary. Um, so I think Twitter on like the other side is very like real and, you know, like, it's those thoughts that go through your head and you just like tweet them, you know, like, it's just like, what is in my head? Like, I just put it out there and maybe it'll stick and maybe it won't. Um, but it's basically like reading someone's life. Like I think the best part about Twitter is that someone in sports, um, you know, I think a lot of people in the sports industry have been like watching the bachelorette and it's like from Monday through Friday, you know, I tweet about sports, but on Tuesday nights I tweet about the bachelorette and it's funny, but it's, you know, it's true. You see that they're real people and this is like things that they do outside of working for a sports team. And I think that's, um, really important when you're trying to have people, you know, that are looking to break in or just are trying to find people to network with. They're like, oh, they like, you know, like The Bachelor or they like, you know, something that I like, like a food or something. And it's finding something relatable to then like kind of connect, I think has been um, something that's really important. That's I think why Twitter's so great and kind of informal almost in a way half the time. But yeah, speaking on kind of like networking and stuff, how do you feel like that's been able to help you to where you are. I know you said you said you were recruited on Twitter, which I think is like an incredible story within itself. Um, but how do you feel like social media has um, 
helped you, I guess, you know, network and get involved with organizations and like you said, be a consultant for you? I think the best way I can put this is like when my um, best friend growing up, like she would have all these odd jobs during the summer and they're usually like lifeguarding or being like a waitress or whatever. And those are not really conventional jobs that I can do. So that's when I would turn to the internet or turn to Twitter, especially. I feel like that's a much more like crazy place where anyone can find you pretty much. Um, And I think just like building a presence online there, um, even if in the beginning, you know, you only have like five followers, like people just find you. And, and, you know, you can make of that whatever you want, but um, you will find other people who have shared interests or who find you interesting. And um, networking is a huge part of my life. And it's not always me, you know, tweeting at people and being like, hey, like we should be friends or whatever. It's like doing things that make you appealing if you're passionate about it. I feel like when you're not passionate about what you're sharing, it is very clear and it is like it appears like kind of half-assy so like if you can you know find a niche even like something really specific like there there's usually someone someone else out there who shares that interest with you and then you kind of build upon that like for me it started out because i would like live tweet bruins game reactions and just like literally like every game the I could watch I would just do it from like puck drop to the end of the game um and that's how like I would get found by other people you know and that is just me being a fan so now that it's kind of like transitioned into my work um which is still a little bit crazy because I still kind of treat Twitter like a diary sometimes I'm like "Mm, maybe I shouldn't say that tonight like you know I have people kind of watching me now maybe I should just hold this one for me, you know, keep it in the drafts. Um, but like networking is such a huge deal and it's not just for people with um, limitations that they wouldn't otherwise be able to like go to an in-person networking event because those are really important too. Um, and such a weird time that we're in right now, I feel like it's even easier to find people to connect with online. And I found that that was obviously true for my story because when I was writing, everybody was home. Um, <laughs> everybody was home so the likelihood that you know people with bigger audiences or followers like seeing me message them because that's something that I did and that's something that I've been really open about is when I wrote one of my bigger articles I just like went through a list of writers that I really respected in the industry and I was like hey I wrote this like this is a little bit of background on me and you could give this a share that'd be great if not like I still love you, you know, like something like that. Um, something where I try to bring a personal touch to it and not, you know, send the same message to everybody. Um, and really like give myself a little bit to them and be like, you know, I'm worthy of the story getting out there. And I think it's important or whatever. Um, and most times it would go through. So, um, I think that that's the great way to start, you know, be comfortable in yourself and, the networking will kind of come to you in a way if you're putting out content that you're happy about. So I think, I hope that answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I think when you said like finding your niche, that really hit home for me because currently like my work at Open Doors, like we are always preaching like 
find your niche, like be authentic, like just be a normal human being on social media and like opportunities will come. So it's funny, like putting it kind of like in a perspective, like you're talking about all of these things, right? Like for my work, it doesn't just apply to athletes. Like it literally applies to everybody. So I don't know. I just kind of found that interesting. Um, but yeah, I like, it also hit home when you said this one's just going to stay in the drafts. Like that's me like a hundred percent. So yeah, thank you so much um, for joining us. And if you could share that article with us that you were talking about, like we'd love to share about on our page too, um, along with the podcast, I think that would be really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know like personally for me, like I said, you're always on, on my feed now when Sydney said, oh, Chanel. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, yes. I was like, this sounds like incredible. And I know when I saw your Kraken tweet, like, I don't know, know you, right? But I was just over the moon, like for you, just knowing like you were so involved in hockey and inclusivity. And I was like, wow, like I couldn't think of somebody better to do it. So congrats on the consulting job. And I'm so excited to see um, what you do next. I'm really excited. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me. And um, a lot of people share that sentiment too. And that's, I think that's what my goal is, right? To have people not be surprised by me getting something like, this and to really see it for what it is is like I should be doing this you know and it and it's coming from a person who's really passionate about the cause and for everybody not just you know the disabled community um and that's my mission is to keep keep the inclusion coming basically and thank you both for including me on this awesome podcast yeah you're welcome yeah